My name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at City Reach. Thanks, guys. <laughs> That's new in case you're wondering why. Um, so today, if you, we're going to be getting into a message. I'm going to be preaching a message for you guys, sharing a message with you. But before I do, I wanted to give you guys an update. Josh sent some pictures over, uh, text, giving a little update on what's going on over there in Columbia. Josh sent me this text message, and he just wanted me to share it with you guys so you have an update. He said a few quick things to note about how things are going. We had a full day of travel, arrived fine. It was our first full day at the orphanage. This was yesterday. We spent the whole day hanging with the kids, playing soccer, making bracelets, making up games, giving hugs, talking about Jesus. Such a beautiful and quality time with these precious ones. Tomorrow we'll be joining church service, so today, where Dan, Amber, and Karen will be sharing their testimonies and stories. And we'll have an opportunity to pray over the church members, kids from the orphanage, other families, some prisoners who got busted in from a jail nearby. All in all, already such a successful trip, God is using us powerfully here and speaking to our team through these kids. All my love to City Reach LA. Uh, so thank you guys so much for all those who gave to help them go on the trip, but not only go on the trip to bless the kids at the orphanage there with uh, soccer balls, other things, and the staff with towels, they, they were able to do that. So thank you guys for giving. And also for praying, and we uh, encourage you guys to continue to pray for them. They're there until uh, Friday. They're going to be returning here in L.A. on Friday. So keep them in your prayers and on your hearts uh, as they continue to minister and really just be open to what God, whatever God has for them. So if you missed last week, we're in a sermon series for the month of August called Redeeming Relationships. We're spending the month really delving into relationships because life is relationships. And since life is relationships, God's efforts are going to involve redeeming them. So last week, Josh preached a message on redeeming sex, and then next week, he'll be preaching a message on divorce. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a break today. Um, there's some heavier topics there. And we're going to be uh, going over really what it means to be a peacemaker. Today's message is called Blessed Are the Peacemakers. I'll be sharing on how to be a peacemaker in the world that's so often divisive. Our series that we're going through this month is framed around this principle. Your life will be redemptive in nature only to the extent that your relationships are. So today we'll be looking at scripture to see how our lives are made whole when we continually discover the peace of God and extend that peace to other people. With that, we're going to take a look at what Jesus teaches about relationships, define what peacemakers look like, and ultimately look at Jesus as the ultimate example of that. So before we get into it, let's go ahead and pray together. God, we just come before you in this time we have together. Uh, give you thanks that we're here as a church family, as people who just want to seek you, worship you, and uh, learn from your word. And I pray that your word would minister to our hearts today, God, that uh, as I share this message, it would truly touch some people here, uh, help us all to change and become closer to you, become more of the people who you created us to be. So I pray that your spirit would be upon us today to help us hear from you. And we thank you that you are a God who speaks even today. So we ask that you would just speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you guys have been around for the last five months, you probably noticed that Sarah and I are carrying around a little extra something. We have a baby boy. His name's Asher. Um, 
<laughs> he's been so much fun, and, and we're really excited to see how his person, personality evolves over time and the person he becomes. And with having one, now, of course, the talk is coming up. Like, do we have another? Like, we're not sure yet. Drew's not on your head, please. I, I don't know why. <laughs> Auntie Drew. Um, but are there any, are there any old, only children here? I know Drew is. Drew's the only one. So you can convince us one way or the other after uh, whether or not we should have two. But uh, she already said yes. But I grew up, I don't know about you guys, I grew up with four brothers. All right. So for 11 years, I was the youngest of four boys until my parents had this surprise out of nowhere and had my little brother. They were hoping for a girl, but it didn't work out. Um, but nevertheless, five boys in our home. And youngest for 11 years. So when you have a, a house full of four boys, you're bound to run into conflict. It's, it's inevitable. It's unavoidable. It happens. So it, uh, me being the youngest child and, and really coming under my older brothers who constantly were pinning me down. I was always on the receiving end of dead arms. It was just natural. I, eventually, I was just like, okay, this is my life. I get it. Um, <laughs> It's okay. I can deal with this. And I tried to be the peacemaker. I tried to be peaceable with them just by avoiding things, just by almost not participating. And that all went well until one day, I shouldn't say one day, I'm sure there were little times, but when I was 12 years old, I let all that, that anger and that annoyance just bottle up inside, and I lost it. I lost it. it was, I was just sitting there doing my homework, being a good kid, and my one older brother, he just kept bothering me, kept interrupting me. He wouldn't stop. And about the sixth time in, I told him to stop. I, I had it. I got in a fight with him. We started pushing each other. We yelled some words at each other, I'm sure. And then eventually, I found him standing there in our hallway, saw the perfect opportunity. I channeled my favorite linebacker. And I tackled him. It was, it was like such a good hit. I don't, I don't know. It was just perfect. <laughs> And I tackled him, and he went right into our front door, glass shattered, blood everywhere. I'm just kidding. There wasn't blood. He, he didn't actually didn't get a scratch, thankfully. But shattered our front. We had this big oval window, and it just, like, shattered his back right into it. Um, my parents were pretty upset. Um, so needless to say, you know, fighting in our, our household was common. There was conflict all the time. And while, you know, I'm no longer tackling my brothers into doorways, uh, healthy conflict is still something that I struggle with. I don't know about you, but maybe, maybe you're someone who's maybe too confrontational. But for me, I like to, I have a tendency to just shy away from conflict altogether. And oftentimes, getting into conflict in any form can bring me some anxiety. So maybe you can identify with having, a difficult, having difficulty dealing with conflict in healthy ways. I know that I'm not the only person who struggles with it um, and struggles with being a peacemaker. But the reality is that conflict exists in the world because sin exists. As long as we're broken, sinful people in a broken, sinful world, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be strife between people. There's going to be people who don't always get along uh, in your relationships, friends, family, coworkers, whatever it might be. So the reality is that conflict exists. If you just look at our political climate alone, you can go on Facebook and see that it's, it sets us up 
as a society to be at war against one another. Just scroll down a couple posts on Facebook and you'll see one side probably alienating the other in someone's post. It's just what we have to live with. It's what we have to face and it's the reality we have to face. So today's message is centered on the phrase, blessed are the peacemakers. It can be found in Matthew 5. In this chapter, we come to the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, uh, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with, but it's where Jesus teaches about the characteristics of the kingdom of God. He's teaching about what his ways are and, and what it looks like to follow him. And so within that, we're given a picture of how we are to relate to others. Jesus starts his Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. He tells his listeners that the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, are blessed. And then he gets to what I believe is the pinnacle of the eight Beatitudes. And in Matthew 5, 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So as children of God, we're called to reflect our Heavenly Father. The fruit of our faith should be evident in our relationships. We should be outworking that, that reflection of our Father in our relationships. Peacemakers, they're rare because it's hard work. It's hard work to engage in conflict and find resolve and, and pursue peace. But because you're called to be a part of God's family, peacemaking is one of the most important skills that you can develop. For the rest of our time today, I want to define what a peacemaker looks like, how Jesus is that ultimate example, and what the path towards being a peacemaker is. And my hope is that we leave here today with a, a greater measure of God's peace in our lives, a greater measure of God's peace in our hearts. And out of that, that we're able to have a better picture of Christ's example, and, and in that we can uh, find healing, find wholeness, and in our relationships and in the world around us. So what is peacemaking? Peacemaking, I think, is, is it's important that when we look at a definition of it to first say what it's not. So peacemaking is not peacekeeping. So a peacekeeper, when you think about it, is someone who's passive, who, who doesn't want to engage, who just kind of tries to keep to themselves. This is often where I, I feel like I find myself. And that's, a lot of times can be motivated by fear. Maybe it's fear of rejection, fear of getting hurt. Maybe it's your own insecurities, whatever it might be. But when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, he was inviting us to an incredibly difficult and challenging process that starts in our hearts. When the Bible talks about peace, especially as it relates to Jesus, it's speaking about reconciliation, which is ultimately uh, engaging in conflict with heart, to see things restored and resolved and made right. So when the Bible talks about peace, the key to the idea is shalom. So shalom, if you're not familiar with the Jewish meaning of shalom, uh, it's basically this idea that was really the key to the Jews' identities in that day. And it's the idea of completeness. It means relationships are working in the proper and right order, everything as God made it to be and intended it to be. It's the fullest expression of everything being right with the world. So peace or shalom, as Jesus meant, is not the absence of conflict. It's humans flourishing in, their, in the fullest. The world is broken, and Jesus has called us to put it back together, to make peace in our world. 
So peacemaking, when we're talking about peacemaking, we have to understand that it tries to build bridges to people. It doesn't want animosity to remain. It doesn't want that division to remain. It wants reconciliation. It wants harmony. But we also have to understand that we live in a broken world, and it means we're, at times, might even experience some toxic relationships. Uh, Maybe you have some that even come to mind as I say that. And in those situations, peacemaking, it might just be receiving peace through forgiveness and, and letting go. But peacemaking is a theme that's really weaved throughout Scripture. Just to name a few places, I'm going to take the next few minutes just to kind of quickly hit a couple of stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a story of Joseph. In Joseph, he was betrayed by his brothers, and in his youth, he was sold into slavery. And he, in the midst of all that struggle and, and being basically held, dealt a horrible hand in life, he continued to be faithful to God. And because of that, God raised him up, and he eventually rose to the ranks of the second most powerful leader in all of Egypt. And it was at a very critical time because a famine was coming, and God showed Joseph at that time that the famine was coming, so he prepared Joseph to exercise his leadership and use it in even greater measure by storing up food. And when the famine did come years later, his brothers came looking for food. They were they were really just looking for a provision, had no idea that Joseph was even there. At this point, they probably thought he was dead. Who knows? He was just long gone, hadn't seen him in so long. And so when they came before Joseph, they didn't even recognize him. Now Joseph, he had a choice. He had a choice to either not say anything. He could have just went unnoticed. After all, he was like far more powerful than they were. He could have his other choice would have been maybe, maybe he could have killed them. Maybe he could have imprisoned them, at least, like gotten his revenge somehow. He could have done all those things, but instead he chose to have a pure heart. He was humble. He was merciful. Even despite his past and everything that he went through as a result of his brothers betraying him. So he chose to define justice on God's terms and extended forgiveness towards them. So for you, maybe it's your family member who's wronged you, who's hurt you. It could be a close friend. In those situations where you experience that, where you have those, those rifts, those divisions, and, and feel betrayed, feel hurt, choose to trust God. He, he'll make all things right. So when we let go of resentment and forgive others in the same way that we're forgiven, that's, that's how we're, we're peacemakers, and that's how Joseph shows us that. And the next one, uh, I want to look at David. So before David was king himself, he was servant to King Saul. And as David became more and more popular with the Israelites because he slayed you know, Goliath, and he was winning all these battles, and Saul just was infuriated, filled with jealousy, because the people were chanting, that David was so great, and, and really he felt like they were forgetting him, their king. But David continued to faithfully serve Saul, even though there was even one attempt where Saul threw a spear at him. All right? like, I don't know how you get over that one. It's like, hey, thankfully he didn't have great aim. You know? um, and then the, there's the moment when that fails and, and Saul still is jealous, still filled with jealousy towards him. He says, okay, well, I got a better plan. Let's, let me maybe do this a little more discreetly. David loves battle. 
Let's send David into a battle with a bunch of Philistines where the odds are hugely against him. But David, being like the cool guy he is and strong guy he is, he wins that battle, comes back, and Saul is just in, like furious about it. He cannot get rid of this guy. Um, so eventually David has no choice but to leave and run away from Saul. So for David, there would have been probably many times where it would be appropriate to kill Saul to, to defend himself. Um, but he even has a couple of perfect opportunities while he's on the run to take his life. But he chooses not to. He chooses to be a peacemaker by laying down his rights. He trusts God's plan. And reaching out to Saul, he, he reaches out to him in hopes of reconciliation. Now, chances are that you don't have a boss or authority figure in your life that wants to kill you, or at least I hope not. <laughs> um, and if you do, maybe you should start applying to some other jobs. Um, but the, there is a chance that, that uh, there's you know, someone in your life who, who is maybe been passive-aggressive or jealous about your success. In those situations, God calls us to be a peacemaker, to show mercy, and to pray for their heart to be changed. And then lastly, I want to look at the New Testament. Uh, one of the stories that I love in the New Testament is the story of Paul and Silas when they're worshiping God from prison. They'd been, just been jailed for preaching the gospel, and were in the middle of praying and singing hymns. When God, he suddenly freed them, he, he sent an earthquake, it broke their chains, the cell doors swung open. And once they were free, you'd think, you know, they'd immediately take off. But their first act in their freedom is actually an act of reconciliation. While this was going down, there was a jailer there, uh, the jailer of the prison. He, and he would have been considered an active participant in this oppressive Roman uh, government that was persecuting so many Christians, including them. And after seeing the prison doors open, this guy was, he was ready to kill himself. Because if he didn't, he knew that his commanding officer would kill him for letting the prisoners go free. But Paul and Silas bring peace to him by looking beyond the fact that he was a part of this larger system that was bringing so much persecution. And Paul shouts out to him, don't harm yourself, we're all here. He could have just let the jailer die. He could have just let him have his way and, and kill himself and gone free. But instead he assures him that they're all still accounted for. For you, maybe you're struggling to be a peacemaker right now as you live out your faith in either a society or family or workplace that looks down on you for it. Now I could continue, I'm sure, to list plenty and plenty of stories. Like I said, it's, peacemaking is a theme that's really weaved throughout the Bible. Um, but now I, I want to bring it back to Jesus. So Jesus is our ultimate example when it comes to this. He's the full embodiment of a peacemaker. He doesn't just make peace through the words that he says, but he proves it through his confrontation with death when he gave his own life for us, for this whole world. When he submitted himself to be crucified and in doing so rescued those enslaved by death. And he resurrected creation with him in his own resurrection. So 2 Corinthians 5.19 says this, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And then in Colossians 1.20 it says, He made peace by the blood of the cross. So God's a peace-loving God. He's a peacemaking God. The whole history of redemption, climaxing 
in the death and resurrection of Jesus is God's plan to bring about a just and lasting peace between humanity himself and then between each other. But I think it's safe to say, as we look at culture, that being a peacemaker is a genuine one is, is pretty countercultural. It's just not the norm. Uh, when we're children of God, though, we have the character of our Father. And what he loves, we love. What he pursues, we pursue. And these are things that won't go unnoticed by others. So to put it another way, Paul says in Galatians 4, 6, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It also says in Romans 8, 14, For all those, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So being led by the Spirit, that includes bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And what's one of the fruits of the Spirit? It's peace. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Jesus, um, Paul in his writing teaches us how, how Christ's example uh, sets a good example for us of what it means to be a peacemaker, to humble himself. So it says, you can look with me up here, I have it on the screen. In Philippians 2, 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So this passage, it teaches us a few things about what it means to be a peacemaker and how to learn to do that. First, it shows us that God calls us to have the mindset of Christ. This is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's what the Beatitudes are all about. Christ is literally in the Sermon on the Mount sharing his mindset with his listeners and with us today. So part of Christ's mindset is being a peacemaker. It's loving others to reconciliation. And how does he do it? He lays down his rights. It says in verse 6 that he was in the very nature God. Yet in verse 7 we see that Christ's humility in taking the nature of a servant. So when we face conflict, it's easy sometimes to approach that conflict. But what we feel are our felt rights. Like we go into it with our, our own emotions, our own feelings. Because we feel like we've been wronged, right? And, and for us, it's, it's like I, I'm right. It's sometimes hard to lay down our pride and to enter into it with humility. But that's just what Christ does. That's the example he sets. Um, we have to be careful not to let that felt right blind us from seeing what God wants to do in the midst of our conflict. And then in verse 8, we see that uh, he does it sacrificially. Jesus makes peace between God and man by giving his very life. Not only does he become man, he dies in our place at the very worst of deaths that he can ever die so that we can have eternal life. So for us, this means that peacemaking is the way of the cross. It's laying down our rights and extending Christ's reconciling power to others even when they don't deserve it. So it's one thing to say, right, be a peacemaker. Like, what does that mean? Be a peacemaker. It's one thing to say that. Went through kind of what it means there. Hopefully you, you grasp that. But let's break down what it really looks like in our lives and start applying the principle to our lives. So I mentioned how this is kind of the pinnacle of the Beatitudes, 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And I think that the Beatitudes, they show us a path to becoming a peacemaker. And ultimately, uh, Jesus shows us how that's lived out. So when we look at the Beatitudes, we can look at them as this path of progression, with one leading to the next. We see that peace comes from peacemakers who are characterized by their poverty of spirit, their ability to mourn for the world, their lack of clinging to personal rights, their hunger for healing of the world, their extreme mercy extended even towards their enemies, and their purity of heart. According to Jesus, these are characteristics that exemplify a peacemaker. They're qualities that can help lead us into the right mindset for healthy conflict. So what does healthy conflict look like? If, if we're practically speaking, you know, you have someone maybe in mind, as I'm saying this, that or in the past you've experienced conflicts, maybe there's something in their future that it'd be important to know what healthy conflict looks like. And I'm going to give a few suggestions that are by no means an exhaustive list, but might help set us on the right path, help set us on a good path towards approaching conflict, engaging in conflict, and doing it in a healthy way. Healthy conflict, it sticks to the issue. It doesn't get lost in angry words, past hurts, or carry over baggage from other relationships. It pursues purity. Before we go to others, it's important to examine our own hearts. Where do we stand? Where do we truly stand? A lot of times we let our emotions get in, get in the way, like I said, and blind us from really seeing that. We have to be able to prayerfully face our own faults. We need to be willing to accept in any ways that we might have contributed to the conflict. And then once we've shared our feelings, we need to be present and listen to the other person's perspective. Really exercise empathy. So before approaching conflict, Go back to the Beatitudes. Ask God what characteristics of those you're lacking in and to have him help you in that. It's, it's just a great way to measure up to, to where we're at, to look back at them and one by one go through, really ask God to help you have an understanding of that and what it looks like in your life. So as we close today, think about the relationships that you might be avoiding conflict and avoiding true reconciliation in. God calls us to engage, as difficult as it might be as times, in the hard work of overcoming our anger, envy, and resentment we might be harboring. It's in that, when we approach that conflict, that we find peace, that we find God at work. He doesn't want us to just passively avoid things. He doesn't want us to just kind of let those Bitter, that bitterness and any resentment that we have in our hearts build up. He wants to bring healing, and it happens through this. It happens through approaching it with a pure heart. So to submit to his ways is to extend forgiveness just as we receive forgiveness. It's to show the love of Christ, and in doing so, we bring peace. Here are two things that I think you could do. We could pray. First, for our relationships that might come to mind. And then next for the wisdom to discern what it looks like for you to be a peacemaker within that relationship. And then you can also just take one step. What's just one thing that you could do? One thing that could set you on that path towards reconciliation in that relationship. It could even be something as simple as just sending that person a text message to see how they're doing. This time I'm going to call Jackie and the worship team up. So think about what it would look like 
If we as a community of peacemakers chose to pursue peacemaking in our relationships every day, what if we chose to humble ourselves and to allow God's love to reign and rule in our hearts instead of our own felt rights? It really starts by us choosing to pursue peace in those relationships we have. It starts by building healthy relationships through being a peacemaker and being a peaceful presence in the life of others. I'm sure you probably know people who are one way or the other, people who cause stress, people who cause anxiety, who make things worse for you. Then there's those people who, they're just refreshing to be around. They're just refreshing in the, the way they approach things with the joy that they have or, or you know, just the openness and honesty that they might have. So be a peaceful presence in people's lives. It's there when we, when we act in that way, when we carry those characteristics that we see in the Beatitudes that people are open, they, they trust, they, trust is built, and, and they might even be open to the gospel, uh, and God might use you in really powerful ways in the midst of that. So as we sing this song in closing, uh, Annie will be up here on this side, I'll be over here on this side, and you can go up there. <laughs> um, and if you would like someone to pray with you, we're here as we worship. Maybe there's a specific relationship that's been challenging for you that you need prayer in. Maybe it's a family member who's caused you hurt or, like I said, a close friend who you just haven't talked to in a while. Maybe you need God to help you forgive, to engage in conflict, to find resolution. For some of you, maybe there's just no one that comes to mind currently. That's okay. That's, that's great. But for you, maybe you've never experienced the peace of God in your life or haven't in a while. You can't give what you don't have. So start there. Seek the peace of God. In the midst of busyness, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of our own brokenness and sin, God longs for you to know that he loves you. He loves you where you're at. And he can bring peace to your life. God will bring reconciliation. He'll bring wholeness. He'll bring healing. It's what he does. So feel free to come forward for prayer as Jackie leads us in this last song.